This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello everyone, Pip here introducing you to a new episode of The Amelia Project. But first of all, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you to all of you who are listening, uh, to all of you who have spread the word and maybe told a friend about the show, and of course an extra special thank you if you're supporting us on Patreon. As a lot of you know, my dream is to be able to make this show full-time at some point, and uh, thanks to our patrons, we are heading in the right direction. In fact, I've just been to tell the boss of my dull day job that as from September I will be going part-time, which means that I can dedicate two full days a week to death fakery. This is quite a big step, which I'm really excited and also a little bit scared about. So uh, if you want to make it a bit less scary and if you want to support all the artists and actors and engineers who work on this show, uh, we'd be super grateful. Head over to ameliapodcast.com and click on support the show. We're so happy for every new patron, no matter the size of your pledge. Speaking of support, we'd like to dedicate this new episode to our super patron, Mints and Such. Today, we catch up with the interviewer at Golovin Prison, and when we last left him, he just managed to get hold of the key to another cell, the cell belonging to Hiroshi, a robotics engineer. Enjoy the episode. Fourth door on the right. Fourth door on the right. Hello? 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 Hiroshi? <clears throat> Hiroshi, it's Fedor Sudakov. I need to talk to you, urgently. Hiroshi? Yes, sir. I've been sent by Mikhail. Uh, oh. How are you getting on with the ballerina? Uh, I've replaced the sensors, uh, the pressure pads, pickup coils, uh, the contact switches. I recalibrated the encoder and the accelerometer, strengthened the clamps, oiled the axles, joints, and the end effectors. I exchanged every single shaft screw. I tweaked the CPU and overhauled the entire actuator system. So, she will be ready to appear at the Bolshoi in... two hours? Well... No. No, but please don't put me in the basement. Please, I'll, I'll have her dancing again in a few weeks. I just need to order a new magnetometer from Japan, and I'll reconfigure the oscillator circuit and find a way to reduce mechanical stress. It'll take three, three, two weeks. I can do it in two weeks. Oh, Hiroshi, relax. What? I haven't been sent by Mikhail. You haven't? Then, then who are you? What are you doing here? What do you want? I want... Y yes Your story.
Media Project, created by Philip Thorne and Ostein Braga, with music and sound direction by Frederick Baden. Episode 40, Hiroshi. There's no time for a story. I'm trying to get Ivana ready. Ivana? The ballerina. But the premiere's in two hours. I thought it's impossible to get her ready by then. Better to try than to waste my time telling stories. Listen, Hiroshi. Stories are never a waste of time. And anyway, I'm your route out of here. What? I can get you out of Golovin. Nobody escapes Golovin. My previous clients have been very satisfied. Previous clients? Alexei Popov, Maria and Daria, Clara Knopf, Oleg... Oleg? Like, da, nyet, da, that, that Oleg? There's more to him than first meets the ear. <sighs> you really want to help me? Yes, but I need to get to know you first. And what's in it for you? We'll get to that. All right. Um, what do you want to know? First off, tell me, what's this delightful music? They didn't give me a record player in my cell. A record player? Oh, a CD. Uh, pity. I prefer vinyl. No, not a CD either. Come and meet Albert. They gave you a pianist? <laughs> Don't be silly. I built one. Oh, well, prick me like a cactus, a robotic pianist. Albert can do classical, jazz, and liturgical, but he's especially fond of show tunes. Well, this is most impressive. I mean, when did you build Albert? Albert's a prototype. His younger brother, Sergei, is a much more serious musician. He specializes in Shostakovich. And where is Sergei? On loan to the Vienna Symphony. You built Albert and Sergei here in Golovin. My initial job was to create the world's first robotic classical pianist. They were so impressed with Sergei that they put me straight back to work, this time on a robot conductor for the Moscow Philharmonic. You succeeded? Cheslav Dubinsky has just returned from a successful tour of China. His interpretation of Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring was the talk of the Beijing Music Festival. I'll never forget the standing ovations. Wait, wait, wait. You went to China, too? Yeah, I always travel with my robots. Really? They let you out of Golovin for that? Yeah, I'm the only person who can calibrate Cheslav's motion controller and program Sergei's ROS. Anyway, as long as I deliver, the Russians keep me on a long leash. When Cheslav conducted Madame Butterfly at the Mariinsky, I watched every performance. Well, it must be nice to get out of Golovin from time to time. I also accompanied Sergei to the Royal Academy of Music in London when he won his Bach Prize. Uh, who would have thought that the robot rave teen from Tokyo would go on to take the world of classical music by storm? Although, you know, maybe it's not that surprising. My mom played viola for the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra. Robot raves? Yeah. I think you'd better tell me your story from the beginning. You've always been into robots? Yeah, yeah. My dad's to blame for that. He gave me a mechano set when I was four, and I've been a machinophile ever since. My dad and I spent the weekends building steam trains and forklift trucks and race cars. <laughs> we even built a six-meter motorized crane once, controlled by a 12-volt model railway controller. Nice. 
Yeah. When I was 12, I helped my dad restore a 1971 Mazda Cosmo. I just fell in love with the long hood and the covered headlights. It's so cool. Your dad was a mechanic? (laughs) No. He was a literary professor at the University of Tokyo. But he was happiest at weekends in overalls, you know, covered in grease, dreaming up remote control monster trucks and moon buggies. He, he brought these amazing books from the Institute of Oriental Culture, like the, the Book of Hydraulic Excellencies. It contains plans for mechanical doves and fish, angels and dragons made for Chinese emperors going back as far as the Han Dynasty. Tell me about the robot raves. Yeah, uh... As a teenager, I constructed a robot arm that could create music by manipulating records on a turntable. Ha! A robot DJ? Yeah. I hosted garage raves, and Takeshi became the star of Tokyo's underground disco scene. Takeshi? My robot. Of course. And he consisted of just an arm, you said? At first, yes. But as the raves became more popular... I gave him a torso, uh, a head with video camera eyes, and legs with hydraulic knees so that he could bop to the beat. Ah, uh, those were great times. Maybe I could have made a career out of it, but... Oh, why didn't you? I was, I was offered a scholarship at MIT and moved to the U.S. Oh, my dad was so proud. After graduating, I was hired as an engineer by one of the biggest companies in robotics. Oh, congratulations. I was in New York City, working at the cutting edge of technology and making more money than I knew what to do with. Living the dream. For about a year, I thought so. Oh, what changed? I realized just how much junk I was producing. Come on, you're calling your robots junk? No, no, of course not. But? But they were producing and packaging and labeling thousands of useless products every day. I was creating efficient ways of filling the world with junk. And then the junk became all I could think about. And whenever I closed my eyes, I just saw mountains and mountains of junk. But that wasn't the worst of it. No? No. My next project was to create a robotic fighter jet. A fast-moving, sensor-studded aerial drone able to carry 22 missiles. Gosh! And then I I remembered Sundays with my dad, just inventing things for the sheer wonder of it. You know, a, a perfectly calibrated speedometer or a, a silent combustion engine. And I remembered the book of hydraulic excellencies and all the amazing mechanical birds and otters and dragons and monks. That's That's what I wanted to do. Give the world mechanical magic not not fill it with junk or be part of an economy of murder so you quit your job no no i stayed oh and decided to use the technologies at my disposal to make something impractical and beautiful instead what did you make the world's first robot performer what kind of performer an actor really yeah robots typically struggle with emotion, so what better challenge? I decided to create a robot who could play Hamlet. Why... why Hamlet? Doubt thou the stars are fire. Doubt that the sun doth move. Doubt truth to be a liar. But never doubt I love. Oh, dear Ophelia, I am ill at these numbers. I have not art to reckon my groans, but that I love thee best, oh, most best, believe it. Adieu.
thine evermore, most dear lady, whilst this machine is to him, Hamlet. Bravo, you know your Shakespeare. Oh, yes. Albert, the gravedigger song, please. A pickaxe and a spade, a spade, four and a shrouding sheet. Oh, a pit of clay for to be made, for such a guest is meet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you. Now tell me about your Hamlet. My Hamlet was a masterpiece in robotic sensing. What is robotic sensing? Basically, giving robots the ability to see and touch and hear and move. Robotic sensing requires advanced algorithms that use environmental feedback. You mean your Hamlet could respond to other actors? Yeah. The, the idea was that I could put him in a production anywhere in the world, and he'd adapt. He'd pick up on whether he was in a classical or avant-garde staging and which language was being used. I programmed him to be able to perform in 46 different languages. He'd modulate his voice according to the size of the auditorium, so whether the show was being put on at a village hall, a high school, or a Broadway theater, he'd fit right in. Fit in? <laughs> you should have seen his fencing moves. How did the rest of the cast feel about performing alongside a robot? Uh, it never got that far. After three months of blissful experimentation, my boss got wind of what I was doing. How so? He came to inspect the automatic missile trajectory mechanism I was supposed to be developing, and Robot Hamlet started quoting, What a piece of work is man at him. Oh dear. I assume you got fired. On the spot. They dismantled Hamlet and used his sensors as target seekers. Oh, what a waste. Yeah. But that night, there was a knock at my door. It was one of the company's board members. It was this modest-looking man in round glasses and a gray suit. Always had that smell of sweet aftershave about him. He'd heard about my antics and wanted to talk. He ushered me into a taxi and we drove to the vodka room on 8th Avenue. So after drinks and chicken Kievs, he asked me about my ideas. Most people would just laugh at me, but this Russian gentleman just listened and nodded. He said he could provide me with a workshop and unlimited funds. It sounded too good to be true. And I woke up the next morning, hungover, wondering if it had all been a dream. And a limousine pulled up, and a chauffeur stepped out, saying he'd been sent to take me to the airport. And a few hours later, I'm on a private jet to Golovin. The man you met at the vodka bar in New York was Mikhail, I assume? Yes. Hmm. And he wanted you to provide prestigious feats of artistic engineering, which... He could show off around the world. Yeah. But he omitted to inform you that your new workshop would be in the middle of a high-security prison. That turned out to be the catch. Still, you said they've been treating you well here, right? The Stroganoff takes some getting used to, but apart from that, it's been amazing. I mean, this workshop is a roboticist's dream. And as long as I give Mikhail what he desires... He gives me all the resources I want and lets me accompany my robots on their many tours. It's not a bad life. Or it wasn't. And then Ivana happened. Tell me about Ivana. Hamlet is a piece of cake in comparison. Hamlet just needs to not bump into other actors or scenery, find the best place to soliloquize. 
but a ballerina has to do jumps and leaps and pirouettes and that requires highly sophisticated velocity sensors not to mention the challenge it poses for her flexibility and equilibrium i can imagine i'm the first engineer to figure out how to get a robot en pointe and make it execute a perfect arabesque radical new territory and you manage i thought so and then during the grand pas de deux at the dress rehearsal ivana lost her balance and crashed into the orchestra pit mikhail is livid but you said you could fix her in two weeks why not just postpone the premiere it's it's not just the premiere on saturday we perform at opera garnier in paris on tuesday it's the royal opera house then new york san francisco and chicago were booked into the most prestigious opera houses in the world tickets are sold out and expectations are super high mikhail still wants the premiere to go ahead yes i need to fix ivana before the curtains rise tonight but you said that's impossible mikhail doesn't accept impossible and you know what happens to anyone who doesn't conform to mikhail's demands right the golovin basement this isn't the moment albert can you really save me yes but okay how well yeah, this will take some explaining are you ready for a story you and your stories it starts in 1962 what close your eyes get comfortable and let me take you to the argonaut the argonaut You're not closing your I'm, eyes. I'm too tense. That's no good. How can you immerse yourself in a story if you're tense? Well, how can I relax when I've got 2 hours before I'm thrown in the basement? Fine, I'll give you the short version. Thanks. I spent 3 years on a submarine with a Pole called Jan and a Swede called Olaf. D- you spent 3 years on a submarine. Why? Thought you wanted the short version. But it- what better place to lie low than the bottom of the sea? But Olaf was a tiddlywinks champion. And Jan was a ballet dancer. Right, right, but 3 years is a long time. Uh, what are you saying? I'm saying that I learned everything there is to know about tiddlywinks and ballet. I can pot a wink from a distance of 4 meters and my pas de chat is second to none. You can dance ballet? Well, Jan needed to keep up his training, which meant he needed a partner. And Olaf had two left feet. Uh, so you became his partner? I did. I danced all the female parts in Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty, Giselle, and The Nutcracker. Why are you telling me this? Well, isn't it obvious? N- not really. No. Well, you just have to case me up as Ivana, and I'll do the rest. Th- that's your plan? It allows tonight's premiere at the Bolshoi to go ahead. W- without a real robot? Oh, give me a remote control head with LED eyes and nobody will know. You want to imitate a robot? Yes. Is that a problem? It's insulting to robots. Insulting to robots and mechanical ingenuity. But the robot itself is imitating a human. It would simply be another layer of imitation. A human imitating a robot, imitating a human. <sighs> I'm not convinced. Fine. Basement it is then. No, no, okay, wait. Um You you really think you can get through an entire performance of Sleeping Beauty? I'll give a performance worthy of a robot. and i won't fall into the orchestra pit promise sleeping beauty has very difficult choreography well we've got the next hour to practice an hour's not enough you you'll make mistakes oh you can blame any imperfections on the previous accident and say you'll smooth them out for the tour come on 
They'll be impressed you got Ivana up and dancing again so quickly. Well, we might be able to fool them for, for one show, but a whole tour, they're bound to notice. The first stop is Paris, you said? Yes, Opera Garnier. Once we're in Paris, we'll make a run. There's a small place in Montmartre where we can stay for a few weeks to plot our new lives. I've been meaning to go back to Paris. I just didn't think it would be via a Russian prison. <laughs> You're crazy. Well, coming from you, that really means something. All right. Come here and put these on. What's that? Ear protectors. So, we're doing this? <sighs> yes. Oh, goody. It's the right decision. Case me up. Uh, uh, you look good. Uh, how do you feel in there? Hot. And my left ear is itchy, but I can't scratch. Uh, speaking of ears, can you feel it when I do this? Ouch! What was that? I've attached small clamps to your earlobes with electrodes in them, so I can give you mild electric shocks. Why would you do that? To communicate with you. I'll be sitting in the front row, and I can guide you if necessary. Yes, my peripheral vision is rather limited in this thing. So, an extended shock in the right ear means you need to keep to the right, and a shock in the left ear means move left. Sounds logical. And if I alternate rapidly between left and right, like this... Ah, oh, stop it, stop, stop it, it tickles. That means we're in danger, and you need to run. Right. How much time do we still have? Uh, Mikhail's going to be here any minute to check on my progress. Well, let's use the time we have to practice. Albert? And please, on top. Wow, okay. Told you. Ooh, yes, I'm impressed. Wait until you see my padusha. Ready? Yes. Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, Sorry, Albert. Oh, are we another robot down? Albert is robust. He'll be fine. What about you? Continue, Albert. You sure? Just a grazed knee. Nothing to worry about. Let's dance. Arabesque. Assemblée. Stay tuned for the epilogue, but first the credits. This episode was written and edited by Philip Thorne, with story editing by Einstein Brager and music and sound design by Frederick Barden. It featured Alan Bergen as the interviewer and Eli Hamada McElveen as Hiroshi. Graphic design by Anders Pedersen and production assistance by Marty Parzival. This show is made possible through listener support thanks to all of our patrons and a shout out to our super patrons Sophia Anderson, Kate Sukayasu, Sophie Levzo, Jem Fiddick, Alban Asant, Travis Curtin, Rushab Shukla, Emily Harris, Stephanie Weitenhiller, Chloe Lefferman, Elizabeth Curry, Mince and Such, and Victor Hesselbaum. And hello to our new super patron, Rafael Eduardo Wefas Verastaki. For transcripts, merch, and info on how to support the show, head over to ameliapodcast.com. And now, the epilogue. How was I? I think we got away with it. You know, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, maybe we should actually do the tour. 
See the great opera houses. I've always wanted to go to La Fenice. We're not doing this any longer than we have to. Once we're safely out of Russia, we run. Of course, I, I, I was just joking. It's good. We go to Paris tomorrow. Ah, Paris. Lady Margot is waiting. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Edgar said to the interviewer, he was convinced that the thing out there was in a vault. Yeah, I know what he thought. Dr. Edgar's didn't think it was designed to keep things out. I know what he, he thought. thought. It was designed to keep something in. Do you even understand the difficulty trying to keep a base like Fathom at the bottom of the ocean from killing everyone in it on a daily basis? Oh my god. Everyone hold on to something. I think whatever is on the other side of that door out there, it's not friendly. I think it's trying to get out. That, my friend, is a dire combination. That's a bad sign. Get out of the door! It's spreading like some kind of technological contagion. We can either stop it here or watch the world burn. <laughs> 